Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, Samantha, the other day I was talking about this old game I used to play um, that I'll get into more in a second, but it was a predictive game of learning who your husband, or getting a clue who your future husband would be. And you had no idea what I was talking about. Still don't. (laughs) Have you, I mean, did you do anything like that? Like where you were trying to figure out any clues about who your future partner would be? I mean, we played the match game and then the little uh, fortune teller game. Oh, the fortune teller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those games, but I've never had a real tradition. I know that there is one for Mardi Gras. Is it a Mardi Gras cake where they have a baby, a ring, and something else in a cake? And if you find Mm -hmm. that, then those are supposed to be significant of sorts. Those Mm -hmm. are the only things that I know. And I don't know if that's Mardi Gras. Is it Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras has the baby cake. I believe there is a version that has like a a ring or something. I, that's I like, know we did it at a wet, like a shower. And I thought it was yeah. really weird because I'd never seen that. And that was a college mm-hmm. friend who uh, they did this for at a bridal shower, bridal lunch. Mm-hmm. And I was looking around like, what? So I was yeah. still confused. So obviously, I don't know these traditions very well. <laughs> well, you are in for a treat just oh, in time no. for Halloween. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. I believe I've heard of that cake thing you're talking about too, and I believe it's supposed to predict who's getting married next. Okay, yes. Similar to catching the bouquet at a wedding, which is hilarious for me because I'm very competitive and I've like always caught it. Oh, and I have away. no interest in getting married. Oh, I'm so competitive. I'm like the person that's like bending down. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> And then all these dudes will come up to you afterwards and they're like, congratulations. And you're like, yeah, I caught it. <laughs> Clearly not what they're talking about. Oh, and that's uh, king cakes. King cakes. King cakes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, normally in my experience, king cake doesn't have, it is a Mardi Gras cake, but it doesn't have the ring. But it, yes, I think it's a baby, versions, right? It's a baby. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but yes, since Halloween is right around the corner as we're recording this and as you... Listen to it if you listen to it right when it comes out. Um, We wanted to dig into some Halloween traditions that involve women uh, and some more modern takes on these traditions or some more modern things that are going on, including games and costumes. And one of them is this sort of food tradition of like a food predicting who you're going to (laughs) marry. And it is one thing that I've been really curious about. This idea, and especially around Halloween, of these traditions around women eating or using certain foods so that they can figure out something about their future spouse. And it's usually a husband. It's very heteronormative. Um, And this is something that I come across surprisingly regularly over at the other podcast I do, Savor, which is all about food and drink. We just did an episode on Rosemary, and there's a highly specific game Uh, girls used to play and there's even a more modern version where you put like your phone and it has to have a picture of Rosemary on the screen under your bed. If you do, you'll dream about your future husband. But before phones or you could get a printed picture because that also works. People would put sprigs of rosemary under their pillow. Girls specifically would put sprigs of rosemary under their pillows. And if you dreamt and you saw the blurry face of a man, that was your future husband. But if it was a clear face, that's not him. 
<laughs> you stay away from that guy. <laughs> Which I love because it's so okay. vague. <laughs> okay. Yes. Another tradition involves a ring hidden in a potato indicating who will get married next. Or yes, the one I did that I mentioned at the top and I think I've mentioned a few times on this show. I used to peel an apple and you toss the peel. For some reason, I remember it specifically being over your left shoulder, but I don't think it matters. Um, Well, I guess it really doesn't matter in a lot of ways, but it, it was supposed to form the initial of the first name of your future husband if you left it outside for a couple of hours. And I got a D or perhaps a C, which I do think are like the easiest right letters it was going to form. <laughs> right, or O. Yeah. yeah. I need to know exactly. if someone got a Y. Yes. I need to know if someone got a Q. I yes. need to know if someone got uh, like any of a those. W, like a T. Yeah. Like did you uh-huh. get any of those letters? Because that would be more shocking. Yes, for me. Yes, Or how many of those people who actually did marry a D, C, or O, which I imagine is the, or L or I. Like, those are the people. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, I got my (laughs) old future out of me. Of course, these are, they're games. They're just games. It makes sense to me that girls who we've long taught that getting married is the end-all, be-all, Um, And for a good portion of history, something their future and security and happiness depended on uh, would have these rituals around predicting who it was they were going to get married to, I believe. We've talked before about MASH. Like, that was a really popular thing that we would play. Oh, I played MASH, apparently. I call it a different thing. Because I didn't want a shack. what did MASH stand for? I didn't even want a shack, so I got a cabin. So you changed it. (laughs) The mansion, apartment, cabin, or house. I love this. You, you made the rules fit you. you. I didn't know I was living in a shack. That's fantastic. I love that. I feel like saying. that says a lot about you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I made my own future, damn it. That's, I love it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so many of these games were ideally performed on celebratory days when seasons were changing, like Halloween. I know there's a lot of autumn festivals and the Maypole thing is very seasonal as well. Like spring, mm-hmm. right? Spring to summer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when people believed that the veil between the living and the dead was thinner, potentially allowing them to see into the future to get some sense of what was coming. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. Um, So Halloween and its predecessor festivals in Europe also marked the end of the harvest, beginning of winter, less sunlight hours, uh, periods some worried, may one day never end. Mm, I feel like that's plot to a show. What show is that? Uh, (laughs) To that end, people would celebrate and make offerings to gods and spirits. Uh, And food was often a part of all of this, including something called the dumb cake, though it came around a bit later. Yes, and shout out to Jan, uh, who's been listening to all the backlog, and it's been wonderful to hear hear from Jan as as they work through, um, for bringing this one to our attention and pointing us out to this very helpful and fun article over at Atlas Obscura, written by Anne Eubank about this whole thing. Also, shout out to listener Renee for calling in about using the word dumb and how hurtful it can be in the deaf community. Um, and we're going to do try to do better in the future. This is the name of this cake, but we're going to try to use it as little as possible. But always appreciate these notes so we can do better. Oh, BT dubs, because this just reminded me 
of the fact. So I just rewatched American Horror Story, some of the old seasons, and they do talk about Halloween and the fact that uh, during the season of the the witch season, rather, uh-huh. where Madame Laurie coming back and she was like, oh, it's Halloween already. I, do I need to set out the lanterns and get ready for the, or the bonfires and the festival? Essentially, she talked about it. I was like, oh, yeah, that used to be the whole jack-o'-lantern thing. But then a listener also pointed out the fact that we forgot to mention Sarah Paulson being a scream queen. I was like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, because she has that trend going on on TikTok saying, uh, help me, the killer is escaping. Okay. Anyway, this just reminded me of all of those things. So I feel like I needed to say that. And thank you to our listener for reminding me of that. Keep going. Yes, yes. <laughs> she did appear on on some list. Uh, yes. Um, okay, so... From the 1700s to 1900s, unmarried women in the UK and North America would take part in this baking ritual to divine their future husbands. As far as games go, it was more of a spooky sleepover game, kind of like Bloody Mary, with the goal of seeing your future husband in your dreams. That's a recurring theme, is it's like in your dreams you're going to see this person. The origins of it are hard to pin down, but it was probably first played in or around Scotland, perhaps a riff on eating bread on Shrove Tuesday to see your future spouse. Though again, different versions of this game have existed around the world for pretty much forever, and listeners, uh, we would love to hear if you have any experience with any of these or if you have any history in your country with any of these. Please, please let us know. The first known written description of this cake appeared in a 1685 book on witchcraft by George Sinclair called Satan's Invisible World Discovered. Sinclair, a demonologist and mathematician, likened it to a very silly and potentially dangerous superstition. The world discovered. I know. (laughs) That's the whole thing. All right. Mm -hmm. So in the early days, they were certainly viewed by Christians as an unsavory remnants of pagan religions that would bring evil down upon any fool to partake in them. You fool. Annie, you're one of those now. I know, Uh, the apple peel. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know. It's damned you. (laughs) Sorry. For instance, take this quote from the 1750s book, God's Revenge Against the Breakers of the Ten Commandments. That execrable way of making what is termed a dumb cake with a thousand other tricks in order to see or dream of their sweethearts, which are still too much in use among young maidens in order order to satisfy their insatiable curiosity and inexcusable impatience. Inexcusable impatience. How dare thee take on such witchcraft? (laughs) I don't know. How dare thee? I'm really bad at this. Yeah. Wow. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I mean, I guess we should put a note in here. Like, again, it's really easy to make fun of things like this because it sounds silly, but I did the same thing. And especially at this time, your whole future was really, as a young girl, riding on this future sweetheart or spouse. Right. So it just really, really makes sense to me. And I know we've talked about Witches and witchcraft, and especially women around that. And, you know, violence, it led to violence and all the suspicion of of what usually just young girls or maybe beliefs that didn't fit into this very strict idea of Christianity. So it's, yeah, just a note. Um, (laughs) Right. This guy, I'm sure, was terrible. He sounds like a real piece of work. (laughs) (laughs) A real piece of work. 
He does. No one's too sure uh, where the name came from. Either some suspect it comes from an older definition for dumb, meaning silent. Others think it might be derived from the Middle English definition for doom, meaning fate or destiny. But wherever it came from, it was incredibly popular for a couple of centuries in the UK and North America to the point accounts of it appeared in news stories, folklore anthologies, and even research papers. These accounts paint a general picture of how it went. Late in the night, maybe around midnight, two or three girls gathered together to bake a cake in complete silence. And side note, I love how many of these games involve complete silence, almost as if the parents created them or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) The ingredients were simple, typically including flour, salt, and water. Each girl then wrote their initials into the cake, and then it was placed into the oven to bake again. Total silence. Once done, the girls pulled the cake out of the oven and broke it, perhaps each taking a bite. Then they walked backwards to their beds, placing their piece of cake under their pillows and going to sleep so that they could dream of their future husband. So they didn't eat it. They spit it out and put it under their bed. Sometimes I think they took a bite, but there was still a piece left to put under the pillow. Sounds messy. It was a harder cake than what we're used to. It was kind okay. of a, a corn cake yeah, type tougher. Of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Just, just checking. Yeah. And, and as you're talking about, yeah, I can't imagine what these processes were like because if you didn't dream of someone, that means you were doomed, right? I'm sure that it wasn't a. It sounds like, as we're going to get into it in, in a second, it it was kind of scary no matter what. If you saw someone. It was kind of scary. If you didn't see one someone, it was kind of scary. There was a lot of fear around it, which again also makes sense to me if this was something you truly believed. But also the um, Atlas Obscura article I mentioned earlier, the author and a friend attempted this. And it was funny because she was like, I dreamed of nothing. <laughs> not, not a damn thing. <laughs> well, yeah, so that would be the less frightening outcome. Right. So Mm -hmm. in some versions, the husband was supposed to show up. And here's a quote from an 1816 description. Man, we have good records on this. Quote, a few minutes after midnight, the husband of her who was to be first married will appear to lay his hand on the part of the cake marked with her name. That does sound a little creepy. I don't. Why are you in my bedroom? (laughs) Yeah, come on. Um, Oh, and speaking of, sometimes the boyfriends were pretty annoyed at being summoned in some versions of these, as in this 1913 article about folklore out of England by Angelina Parker. Quote, an old lady once told me that a girl in this way brought her future husband, who was a soldier, into the room, and in passing through the doorway, he broke his sword in two. The girl picked up the broken piece and kept it. After she had been married to him some years, in turning out her trunk, she came across it and showed it to her husband. And he was so angry, he could hardly forgive her. He told her he suffered dreadful agonies during the time she forced him to appear, although he did not then know the reason. <laughs> Ooh, now one that, more way to blame a woman. One more way. True, 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 true. These mysterious agonies, it must have been you. You. <laughs> See, only way, only explanation. Mm-hmm. Oof, that could have been the whole plot point. I'm not sure I've ever seen like a horror version story of what we think is a romance and then it turns out to be, it was very painful for the other person involved right. or something. 
I think I've seen some fairy tale versions that are similar. Right. But not quite. Mm. Mm-hmm. In another version of this game, a dark shadow would appear upon the breaking of the bread, chasing the girls. And the only salvation from a mysterious but surely terrifying fate was to jump straight into bed. Again, I love how many of these. I don't know if I'm right, but it just feels like parents trying to get their kids to go to sleep and be quiet. (laughs) Get into that bed or else. Go straight to bed. Or your future (laughs) husband's going to come in. Chase you? Terrify you. Uh Uh-huh. And um, at least once, making one of these cakes did lead to disastrous real-world consequences. Three girls working at an English estate accidentally made their cake using a poisonous ingredient. That night, they woke members of the estate with their agonized screaming. One actually died. Um, The other two survived only to be derided in the news as, quote, two deluded females. But... Again, as one writer put it in 1849, a young maiden will go through a great deal in order to get some kind of answer to a question that so deeply involves her happiness. Here's a description of the whole thing by Charles Dick from 1911. Quote, The two must go to the larder and jointly get the various ingredients. First, they get a bowl, each holding it, and wash and dry it together. Then each gets a spoonful of flour, a spoonful of water, and a little salt. When making the cake, they must stand on something they have never stood on before. They must mix it together and roll it. Then they draw a line across the middle of the cake, and each girl cuts her initials each on opposite sides of the line. Then both put it in the oven and bake it. Seems like a really big bonding time. Annie, should we try this? I think we should. I think we should. The silence part will be hard. And if I have to walk backwards anywhere, then I'm done for. Yeah, because if I have to go down some stairs, who? No, no. So this is actually the one, I believe, that the Atlas Obscura article that they used. And my favorite part was them trying to find something to stand on that they'd never stood on before. Can we get a piece of carpet that we just buy? I'm sure. Okay. I think I could find things in your apartment. Or do I have to like... Yeah. Do I have to go to someone's house I've never been before and never stand in front of that place? I think the friend had an easier time finding something. Oh, no. Okay, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's too much. (laughs) That, I got to put the foot down. (laughs) Well, if we revisit it, I think that could be fun. Uh, We'll let you listeners know how it goes. If we find out. Yes, yes. But for now, let's talk about bobbing for apples and the related game, Snap Apple, which sounds slightly terrifying. I can't wait to talk about it. As a summer slash fall fruit, especially in here, we're talking, we're still talking about mostly European, North American traditions. Apples were often involved in early Halloween celebrations and used in soothsaying rituals. On top of that, they have a long history of being seen as somewhat magical. I'm sure, like, off the top of my head, I'm already thinking of Snow White. There's just a bunch of, like, Eve... There's a lot of imagery around apples. You can go see the episode Saber did on apples. We go into that um, and why that is a little bit. So if you want to learn more. As mentioned earlier, there's the using of the apple peel to ascertain the initial of your future spouse. Another, though, um, was bobbing for apples, a tradition that most likely originated in Europe and perhaps specifically Britain. It started off a bit differently than what we do now. 
Have you ever bought for Apple, Samantha? No. Nope. It just didn't <sighs> seem sanitary. <laughs> I think I've, I mean, especially now, I'm like, what were we thinking? Uh, I think I've only done it once, and I was so bad. I, did, I never got an Apple, uh, and I hated it. It was pretty I miserable, like to be honest. Have, to have a giant mouth. Uh-huh. And then also really good teeth. And I do not have either one of the... Well, I do have a big mouth, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now now I have, with my front fake tooth, I would never oh, ever no. attempt something like this. My teeth are so um, sensitive, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It like bounces away. It bobs away. Bobs. But there was never any uh, who's your future spouse going to be element when I've thought of it or that one time that I played it. It was just, can you get the apple? Um, but there did used to be... In one version of this tradition, as it used to go, um, girls and women would secretly mark the apples and put them in a barrel of water. Then, potential matches would dunk their heads into the water and bite into an apple as a way to look into romantic futures or bring people together. However, in some parts of Scotland, bobbing for apples once and still does... Listeners, please write in if you know. Uh, share the same name as the practice of dunking women in water to test if they were witches. Yeah, that makes sense. And that sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting to me, again, this all makes sense in terms of a game people would play, but it's also kind of like teenagers being shy about asking out somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so there's that element as well. On the other hand, there's Snapapple. This one is a Halloween tradition also from the British Isles that has roots in paganism. Here's how it went. The goal was to snag an apple in your teeth without using your hands. Instead of dunking your head into water, the apple was attached to one end of a stick while a burning candle was attached to the other end. The stick itself was dangled from a string and then the whole thing was spun around the player then tried to get the apple, but failure might mean a candle in your face. <laughs> Woo! Getting the apple first could either mean you were going to be happy in love or that you'd be the first to be married. A similar related version of this game called for suspending a hoop from the ceiling. The hoop was adorned with various candies, peppers, breads, cakes, and apples. Depending on what food the player got, it foretold the nature of their marriage, like spicy or sweet. I don't like any of those games. There's some risk involved, uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I guess I would <laughs> rather have the latter, than, but still. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as our friend and co-worker Lauren likes to say, they didn't have Netflix back then. So... <laughs> That's fair. Find your own entertainment, I suppose. <laughs> so one tradition claimed that you would take an apple to the mirror, shine a candle in it, and eat the apple, which would cause your future husband over your shoulder to appear. Ta-da! <laughs> that sounds like a Bloody Mary game right there. Mm -hmm. In another, you'd cut an apple into nine pieces, and after you'd eaten the eighth, your lover would appear to ask for the ninth. All of these things are, I, how the hell did you get in my house, bro? <laughs> they do sound I mean for someone who watches a lot of horror movies this doesn't sound romantic um, however like I said some of them were viewed as something like Bloody Mary it yeah. was kind of freaky but okay enough about apples let's talk about nuts 
nuts or also used for seeing into the future to figure out who you were going to marry. In some places, Halloween may have been called Nutcrack Night or the sacrifice of the nuts because they were used so much in these sort of future attempts at seeing into the future. Women would name the nuts and put them in the fire. If the nuts cooked together and smoothly, that was good for your chances with that person the nut was named after. (laughs) If the nuts jumped and cracked, not so good, not looking good. Another belief held at this time was that if a man brought a woman walnuts, it was true love, which again, it feels like if the man knew that, then yeah, it's just like... Either claiming you. (laughs) Right. Right. I did, I mean, with all of these, there's a lot of historical distortion of trying to understand what people believed back at at this time and a lot of differing accounts. And I did read one where it was actually the opposite. And if the nuts cooked slowly and together, it meant boring times ahead for you with that person. But if they jumped and cracked, it's going to be really exciting and fun. So the bit about like him bringing you nuts... Uh-huh. It's kind of a little more of what I had thought of as a kid. Like I had two to three specific things that my future husband would do for me for me to know that he was the one. Uh-huh. And I did have that and it was very specific. It has not happened. Just that. <laughs> that Just feels like that practical out. magic territory you're getting oh, into. Oh, it kind of is. You're right. You're right. Uh-huh. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I had that <laughs> as a kid. Like these are the things that uh-huh. I know that I love. And if uh-huh. he does these two things, because I had two specific, very specific things, then I know he's the one, which mm-hmm. is makes me kind of gag a little bit. But hey, whatever. <laughs> a little bit nauseous on that one. But anyway, mm. so let's talk about cabbage. Yes. Types of cabbage or once, I feel like this is very Korean for some reason. I don't know why. I feel like a lot of Asian food just in, it just has all the cabbage. So I'm like, okay, this, seems, this feels right. So types <laughs> of cabbage were once believed to have Halloween love-predicting properties too. What a delight. I love mm. cabbage. <laughs> I do so, too. I'm not sure about these things, but here's a fun, vague one. Great. Women would go into fields, pulling up stalks of kale, examining them for things like length, girth, taste, weight, to kind of get an idea of what their relationship with their future spouse would be like. So is it kind of phallic? Am I picturing this right? Am I wrong? Or is it just about (laughs) the entire relationship? Do I just have a dirty mind? It could be either or, Samantha. Um, It it was a lot of like, a lot of it's wordplay, right? Like if it's long, then the relationship will last long. Oh, see, I was completely, okay, I'm being dirty. So Mm. loss of earth clinging to the roots were often interpreted as a substantial dowry. Didn't the dowry come from the woman? Yeah, Um, I think. Yeah, I think so. It was supposed to be the woman's family. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is for guys too then. No, I think it was like, I would assume that would I would at the time you would interpret that as getting married to somebody higher up. Okay. Uh could ask for a bigger dowry. Okay. So if a woman was looking to live a bit more on the wild side, she could steal a cabbage and see who she met on the way home. And over in Ireland and Newfoundland, the dish cold cannon made of cabbage and potatoes, people would hide a ring and button underneath it. And whoever found the ring was going to get married soon. And the button portended you would never marry. Oh, that's so sad. It can be. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I mean, certainly says, that no, I don't want to be married. That is a really interesting reaction from me because it's supposed to be how it's supposed to be seen. Right. But yes, I'm absolutely the person that's like, I don't want to be married. That sounds awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, not to harp on this point too much, but it was, it's still a big deal now, don't get me wrong. But back then, it was a much bigger right. deal for women. A woman, woman's value was in marriage. Absolutely. Yes. And also, as a game, you know, sort of similar to old maid. And it, it, this is still something we have to shake today culturally, but like there's nothing worse or scarier than being right. an old unmarried woman. So I can imagine at a party, you're like, Which oh. is still being used, yeah, on social oh, media, being like, this absolutely. is why you're going to be alone. Like it's the worst mm-hmm. thing to put on someone. They're like, okay, cool. That's <laughs> fine. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm great, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's just a sampling. There are so many of these. And these were... Halloween focus, but again, listeners, if you've if you've got some or if you played some, let us know. We did want to talk briefly about costumes, and we've done several episodes in the past around women's costumes and even the history of Halloween and and especially here in America and the commercialization of it and how women were heavily involved in the early days. Um, So this is going to be a much more modern look. Also, thanks again to Jessica who suggested we look into this. So there has been some recent research around gender differences in costumes and why these differences matter. The researchers dug through 1,600 costumes in this recent research on two online costume superstore websites, um, sites that have a fairly strict line between men's costumes and women's costumes, same with boys and girls. Some of the findings of this research weren't surprising. Women's costumes are tighter, sexier, and if that wasn't what a woman wanted, there weren't many options outside of that. We've all heard the arguments, I'm sure, around why do women always have to wear sexy costumes? It's slut weed oh no. But if the only options for women are sexy, which shouldn't really be an issue if that's something the person in question wants to wear, then we're limiting what women can dress as and then judging them for it. In the words of one of the researchers, Aaron Hippel, the issue isn't really that adult women are wearing sexy costumes. Women should be allowed to choose what we wear all year round. The issue is that there are limited choices. If one shops on the women's side of the Halloween sales floor divide, the choices are very limited. Uh, Yeah, so it sends this message that women and girls should be sexy, that their looks are front and center and should be front and center, and that their bodies are for consumption for the male gaze. Again, if you want to dress sexily, totally should. Um, Big believer in that. But it's the issue of options. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they've got numbers to back this up, too. So they found 88% of women's costumes showed skin compared to 16% of men's. Uh, The number is 68% for girls compared to 1% of boys. So since for a good chunk of the people who are celebrating... Halloween are celebrating it in public. Halloween falls in cooler months. That means options for comfort and warmth are limited unless you are like me and you get a onesie and you're like, nah, I'm good, bro, in my panda onesie. (laughs) I have had so many cold Halloweens. I remember there was a cold snap in Atlanta 
Uh, when I was in college, so, you know, many years ago, and just being so cold and uncomfortable and going home because my costume right. was very skimpy. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, 93% of women's costumes were tight, even uncomfortably so compared to the 28% of men's. And that's 49% of girls versus 5% for boys. Yes. Um, and I had a friend that almost passed out once from her tight Harley Quinn outfit. So you can get really uncomfortably tight. Right. <laughs> Not and good. Yeah. For those that are just like pre-manufactured, obviously very cheaply made costumes mm-hmm. is typically the worst material size like for young prepubescent girls and the fact that it's thin and see-through. Not necessarily mm-hmm. on purpose. It's just the made the way it is. So it's like, this is the worst combination of costuming yep. or that are ridiculously expensive. And I'm like, I'm not spending $150 on that antique right. dress. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another good point is if comfort isn't, clearly isn't a priority for women's costumes. And it's, again, kind of sending this message that it's not about you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about how you look and how other people see you. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, in interviews, the researchers described how they would have to go through several pages of women's costumes before finding one that wasn't sexualized. Whereas for men, their very first option wasn't. Nice. This finding put out numbers that demonstrate just how big this gender gap is. And I was just thinking about this too. Like, uh, if you think about even historical levels of mm-hmm. costumes, they're all made sexy. And you're like, that was, that's not what it was. And you kind yeah. of have this moment of trying to figure out why something that is already nice has become even beyond. And then we won't talk about the cultural uh, appropriation that happens within these costumes, but how they're also sexualized. I was thinking about, yep. there was just a recent argument on TikTok, because I'm now officially on TikTok all the time and I need to ban myself from it, but whatever. <laughs> the whole idea of why people are arguing with other people about, why can't I dress up as Pocahontas? Why can't I dress up as Mulan? And being there to be like, it's not the point that you may have really liked these, what you know of as Disney characters, but the appropriation of what you're doing and what you're trying to do, especially when we're talking about indigenous communities. Hey, watch it. And then especially the overly sexualized tones of these costumes and what you're doing it for. It's not because you're doing it because you appreciate these individuals and you see them as iconic. You're doing them because you're being a sexy version of something that is known and that's disgusting mm-hmm. on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's interesting how it's such a big accepted kind of thing about like women's costumes will be sexy that I think that just the other day I heard like three or four jokes about it. You know, sexy crayons or sexy, just like random object. Right. And it's sexy. Right. Yeah. And I know I've heard and I suppose there could also be an argument that this is one of the only times of year women feel it's acceptable to dress as sexy as their heart desires, which is also a problem. Most likely, all of these things are going on at once. I remember one year I dressed in a cute, what I was like, modest outfit and went around telling everyone I was tired of having sexy costumes, only sexy costume options. I just remember being at this party and being like, already kind of going off <laughs> about this. Um, so I'm a proponent of being really silly. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the things that I try to do for Halloween. And there have been some moments of like me trying to be sexy did not pull off really well. And I was like, 
I don't feel comfortable in feeling like something that I, I am not on a constant basis. And that also, again, the bigger conversation of being sexualized, fetishized, as well as just not having confidence. So it's all kind of a mm-hmm. layered bunch. Right. Um, but the few times that I have, I'm like, this is really bad. So one of the costumes that I did, because as an Asian person in a white community, I always felt like I couldn't dress as anything and be that. Like, I couldn't be the Asian version of something. Like, that just felt wrong and felt weird. And I will say that because it felt like I was trying to put myself in a hierarchy trying to be white, not because I didn't want to be one of the white people. It was because I was ashamed for not being white, so I couldn't possibly be accepted as white. So that's, Mm -hmm. again, a different conversation. So I dressed up as a geisha, as being an Asian person. Like, oh, this is one thing that I can be, that can be kind of sexy. And then coming back to realize, holy I'm fitting into that same narrative of sexualizing and fetishizing women with this whole moment of the memoirs of Geisha coming out and be like, this was written by a white man. Mm-hmm. Do we really want to go into all of this? You know, like this is all of right. those things. But coming back to realizing, even though it is kind of more accepted because I am at least an Asian woman doing it. I had two white friends do it with me, by the way. Mm-hmm. Whole big conversation in that. Uh, mm-hmm. That wasn't their fault. It was my idea. I will say mm-hmm. to that. But it was problematic then and problematic now, me going back to looking at it and being like, oh, yeah, okay, I did bad. And yeah. even though I am Asian, this was bad on me as well. And that mm-hmm. bigger narrative of why do I feel like the only things that are sexy are a fetishization of what men think of Asian women and which is what it can be dangerous for Asian women. Like mm-hmm. there's such a bigger narrative of this conversation that it's okay to be sexy. Be the sexy crayon if you want to and you feel Mm -hmm. good about it. Go ahead. Be Mm -hmm. your sexy self in that. But have an understanding that, yes, there is a lot of backlash and that's the bigger conversation of what it is, especially for women, once again, to sometimes feed into the stereotype that can be really harmful. Or if you're a white person, be like, but I want to be a squid games person. Please don't do the eyes. Please don't do that. Don't yeah. be racist. Oh. That is mm-hmm. racist. That is yeah. not good. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. Um, and we have, I mean, for something that feels on its surface level very frivolous, there are so many aspects to this. And we've talked about a few before, and I've talked about how sometimes I feel really um, self-conscious when I do uh, like my winter soldier outfit, which I don't think is very sexy, but it's slightly sexy. And kids see that. And it, it's like, you know, I like it and I feel good in it. But I know that kids are observing that and they're observing how men might treat me in that. And then that's makes me feel weird. That makes right. me feel strange. But that's, again, the conversation of like, why are we not putting the responsibility on men? Yes, men. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Ma- it shouldn't, again, it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm this object for you to right. just treat however you want to treat. But it, it, it does turn into that. And I hate when kids see it because it's just like, I don't want to contribute right. to this. <sighs> and you're right. And then it becomes that that's the lesson of the story, not the other way, other problem of the fact that you have been taught as a child and or the parent has been teaching the child, oh, see the girl? Don't do that mm-hmm. because she's the problem. And that's not right. that's not the truth in this at all. And nope. of course, and I know I'm preaching to the choir when we talk about all of this, but this, again, same like stripped down of the fact that if done appropriately, Everything has to be in that caveat. If done appropriately and you feel sexy and you feel good about it, then wonderful. Let's talk about the fact that that is not an open invitation for us to be Mm -hmm. 
coddled. If you want to look from afar and appreciate, because sure, maybe they put some time in that outfit and do want compliments. Okay, if they don't, if they're uncomfortable by you, then don't. (laughs) Yep. Never touch. Always ask before you take a picture. (laughs) (laughs) So many Anyway. (laughs) So many Yes, yes. And I was also thinking, I guess there's an argument that in our entertainment, a lot of women's costumes are more sexualized, their costuming in general. And if Halloween costumes are at least in part based on entertainment, then it filters into that too. That doesn't explain things like sexy Bernie costume, but it does explain a lot of uh, other things. That sexy Bernie meme costume I saw the other day. Yeah, I just saw a sexy Ted Lasso costume. Oh. And I didn't know. I had, I had a moment of, huh. See, yeah, I guess my thing would be, is there a non-sexy women's Ted Lasso costume? Oh, I've seen a few, yes. Yeah. Cosplaying just straight. Right, uh, but could you buy one at, like, the store? Oh, no. So the sexy, I will say the sexy Ted Lasso, she made on her own. It was pretty good. I was like, well, damn, okay. I was just, like, surprised (laughs) by it. I don't know why that it doesn't enter my head to do things. I was like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty good. Like, that's all I could think. It's on people's minds, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so going back to this research, these are not the only findings they had. Uh, they also discovered women in girls' costumes rarely come with masks. 1% and 4% of women's and girls' respectively come with masks compared to 35% and 46% of men's and boys. Why? Researcher Lori Heyer speculates, we found that girls and women's costumes provided less coverage and accentuated the wearer's own physical attractiveness as the character herself rather than her costume character so that she became the featured subject. It seems that girls' costumes had to fulfill demands for feminine ornamental display. She must not simply be a princess. She must display herself as pretty in her princess costume. On the other hand, costumes for boys and men put the alternate identity and character at the forefront. Hires went on, Costumes marketed to girls and women consistently promise that she will look cute, sexy, pretty, and all eyes will be on her. Whereas costumes marketed towards boys typically promise that they will be strong and tough or scary and gross. And then, yeah, I I read another interesting article about this. I wasn't sure... (laughs) how much weight to put in it. But they were saying like, you know, the original intent of Halloween, which we are way off of what it was originally, was that you were supposed to hide your face and like hide your identity. And that was the costume so that, you know, ghosts or spirits couldn't find you. Um, I do think that's interesting. And I I mean, it's just hard for me to like make that argument in our modern times when we've just gone so far away from that. But that is an interesting point when it comes to these boys' costumes having so much more coverage and mask, whereas women's and girls generally don't. Right. I will say one of my favorite costumes that I did was the grudge ghost. And I just oh. followed people around making the noise. Ooh, freaky. Yeah. I was, and I stay in character, so I'm super mm-hmm. annoying. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, like an hour in, that noise is no longer scary. It's just... <laughs> well, no, I still did it enough that is freak people out. Uh, mm-hmm. And they it's would all say, stop, Samantha. Sound. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> I appreciate your dedication. Thank you. Commitment. So another study found that costumes of strong feminist historical icons are lacking when it comes to costume stores, which is why you'll find article after article instructing women and young girls how to DIY them. 
I definitely saw plenty of like Rosie the Reveter and mm-hmm. of course RBG uh, mm-hmm. with the necklace and all of that. I've seen so many of that, but I have also seen amazing DIY like these parents are doing for their young kids. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing. I need that yeah. costume. I would say that was probably when I was researching this, that was a good chunk of the articles on the early Google pages where, you know, like, don't want your young girl to wear a sexy costume. Here's eight costume ideas of famous historical female figures and how to make them. Yeah. Which is another argument that we could make and has been made. It's that that's better for the environment. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in this conversation. A lot more than you thought. Um, Well, listeners, we would love to know if you've got any cool costumes you would like to share. Please, please, please let us know um, whether you're celebrating or not. We hope you have a lovely, safe weekend. (laughs) And yes, if you would like to email us, you can. We would love to hear from you. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuffonoversoldyou. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Happy Halloween, Christina. Yes. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff One Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 